Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? Welcome to So Many White Guys, babies, live from WNYC Studios. I'm your host, Phoebe Robinson, and with me, as always, is my gal pal producer, Joni Mitch. What up, ho? Ooh, gal pal. I love it. It's like we're like a buddy comedy. I love that I called you a ho and you didn't even, like, blink. I just like to stick to the positive. <laughs> if somebody calls me a gal pal and a ho in the same sentence, I'm going to remember gal pal. But I spelled it the French way, so it's like you're a classy ho. Hoax. <laughs> Hukes. Hukes. <laughs> well, Chiefs, what are you going to do on Valentine's Day? Well, no braggies, but um, I'm hanging out with friend of Two Dope Queens and also friend of my life, Baron Vaughn, because he's starring in the reboot of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Ooh, that sounds so fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm still, like, figuring it out. Probably something very low-key. Okay, but Valentine's Day is, like, today. I know, so... but dating is just, like, it's a bad scene in New York. Like, yeah. Okay, the last pickup line I got, mm-hmm. I was at a Two Dope Queens show. Ooh, nice. Nice. And I ordered a drink. Great. And I was waiting for my drink to come, and I could feel this guy's eyes on me. Ooh, that's hot. Well, it wasn't. Oh. It was one of those things where I was like, please don't talk to me. I know you're going to talk to me. He was, he was lurking. Yeah. He was lurking. Yeah. He was a lurker. And so I turned, and I should have mm-hmm. turned the other way, but I turned towards him, which Oof. was my bad. Yeah. And he goes, I wish I could be as pretty as you are. Hmm. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, it is nice, but he could just said, you're beautiful. Like, it was just a weird low self-esteem slash compliment. It's like, I don't need to be involved in your emotional journey. Like, I'm at Two Dope Queens. Totally. What's, like, the worst pickup line you've ever gotten? I don't know. This was, like, years ago when I was living in, I think, my first apartment post-call. And I lived, like, a block and a half away from the laundromat, so I was carrying my laundry. And this guy was like, I let you do my laundry. And I was like, who is that for? Like, what? I don't want to do, like, your, like, doo-doo streaked laundry. Because, you know, guys literally don't know how to wipe their asses. It's insane that we ever have sex with men because they can never do a clean wipe. And I don't understand. Because we all have parents and women clean wipes. Men fucking... Looks like a train track from, like, a Charlie Chaplin movie. It's just (laughs) fucking... (laughs) But, Phoebe, wouldn't you say maybe he was reaching across the aisle? Ooh! Which brings us into our next segment. Transition lenses, baby! (laughs) Across the aisle. Across the aisle. We may be different, but what do we have in common? 
Oh God, this country hurts, man. Tell me what we all can agree on, Phoebs. Okay. Can we all agree that we love sleeping in? Sleeping in is literally the best. It's the best. Yeah. When you give the middle finger to your alarm, you're like, you know what? I'm sleeping till 1147 a.m. today. Deal with it, time. Deal Deal with with it. it. And also, day, go on. See if I care. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't care. See if I give a shit that the day goes on around me. Yeah. I don't. I don't care. It's also like you sleep in and then you wake up and you feel like Sandra Bullock <laughs> at the end of Gravity. Yeah. And you're just like, how do my limbs work? Like you rediscover your body yeah. in such a real way. You become a it. baby. Yeah. And you look outside and you're like, yeah, again, middle finger. You're like, LOL. Yeah. Like you guys have errands. That's really funny. <laughs> really funny good one that's really funny donald trump must love sleeping in yeah even if he's like as uncomfortable with himself as he is yeah he's like (laughs) sleeping in is the best he's gotta love sleeping in yeah no one's ever like more sleep i'll pass yeah no rupaul and donald trump equally love sleeping in yeah oh my gosh so you guys let's all just remember that even though we may think differently about certain issues we all love to sleep because we're all human. Yeah. We're all part of one race and it's called the human race. Yeah. So take that through the day with you. And if you're you're getting into a little tiff with someone you don't agree with on the internet, just be like, this person likes to sleep. I'm going to take it easy. I'm not going to call him a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, love you, Phoebe. See you later. Bye. Love you. Yeah, I feel like every great figure in history probably slept in at least once a week. Oh, my God. Like, Oprah, you know she sleeps in. Amelia Earhart, like, the day before her big trip was like, you know what? I'm going to do me today. She probably shouldn't have slept in. She probably should have, like, prepared more, you know? Oh, God. How was it too soon to say that? I mean, honestly, maybe if she hadn't slept in. I'm just kidding. I'm still thankful for what you did, (laughs) Amelia Earhart, wherever you are. Me too. But we got to get to this Issa Rae interview. So let's get to the commercial and like get hot to trot. You know what I mean? But I was really breaking shit down there for a second. That's what your next book can be about. Let's (laughs) go to commercial. Okay, fine. Welcome back from the break, babies. The commercial break. That was really cool. You can use that Skrillex. Anyway, (laughs) today I'm talking to a visionary, an Oprah in the making, a sister from another mister. That's right. I'm talking about Miss Issa Hooray. In case you don't know, and if you don't know, literally die in a fire. Okay, that's a little harsh. <laughs> Just that's kidding. That's a little strong. We don't want to alienate our listeners. But also, Phoebe. like, they should know about her. Then maybe you should say, if you don't know about her, you should check her out. Versus, if you don't know about her, you should die in a fire. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to try Joanna Salatarov's way. In case you don't know about Issa Rae, you should, like, check it out. See, that sounds so much better. So mad. Issa Rae is the creative force behind HBO's new hit series, Insecure. She writes it. She stars in it. She produces it. 
Basically, she's the brains behind the whole operation. She's Stanford educated. She's got a podcast. She's got her own production comp. Her book, Awkward Black Girl, is a New York Times bestseller and oh so funny. She has an amazing hair journey. There are too many things to say. I feel like I'm going on and on. So let's just get to the damn interview, shall we? Ooh, fire. Welcome to So Many White Guys. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I know you're under the weather right now. You have the flu. I do have the flu, but I was yeah. like, I just gotta come. Um, so you are currently in the middle of the writer's room for season two of Insecure. I am. How is that going so far? Because the first season, I just have to say, was incredible. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's fun being in the in season two. We brought on... Two new people and everybody just vibes well together. We all feel like friends. We bust each other's shops. And it's just like we get to share stories to make the bigger story at hand. But there's definitely, I'm feeling like the pressure of like, it has to be big. And it's like, we don't want to, it's still a story about the like minutia of being black at, at the end of the day. So just trying to balance those two things with the second season, knowing that we're going to have like, you know, people are going to be curious and tuning mm-hmm. into the first episode of the second season. Like, oh, what's the hype about? So I'm nervous, but I'm excited about what we're writing. Yeah. And it's I think it's one of those things where you just have to kind of keep doing what works. Mm-hmm. There are things you've learned throughout the working on the first season where you're like, oh, I could do this differently. And then, you know, it'll be great. I, I'm like, not worried. I take that faith. OK, so let's uh, do a little background on you for the listeners. I mean, I'm sure they're obsessed with you and already know. But you moved around a lot as mm-hmm. a kid. And I know it's a lot when people move around, they tend to be like creators and performers and maybe as a way to kind of connect with people. Like, do you feel that way too? Or does moving around not really affect you that much? It did at first. For me, it was like an opportunity to start over. Mm -hmm. Like if I sucked at one particular school, it was cool because I knew that two years later I would be at another school and I could reinvent myself. I Mm -hmm. love like reset buttons because it always feels like an opportunity to be someone new, to do what I didn't do in the past. And I think that's what moving around a lot did for me. But it also made me like Mm -hmm. an introvert because it gets so exhausting, like talking to people over and over again and reintroducing yourself like that discomfort is definitely, it plays a huge part of my own work Mm. too. Um, and you moved because your your dad's job, yeah? I moved because, well, my dad had um, a hospital that failed in Senegal, and then mm-hmm. we were just poor, so we had to keep moving. Like, we were renting houses. I really don't know. I just knew that it had to do with we just didn't have money. Mm. And I would move schools, too. But I should probably ask my mom, like, what the fuck? Yeah. What, <laughs> what happened? Uh, so how old were you when you moved to California? And what was that like going from Senegal to, to Cali? So I was born in L.A. And then we moved to um, Senegal because my dad thought mm-hmm. we didn't have discipline. <laughs> and he was like, you guys need, you need to know what, like, the African experience is about. Mm. And then um, after that, spent, like, five years in Maryland and then moved back to Los Angeles when I was in the sixth grade. And that was fun. You know, it was, uh, I was like watching Saved by the Bell. And for some reason, I thought that that was set in like Los Angeles when it was really set in like Indiana or something, yeah. right? <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, I'm about to have that Saved by the Bell experience. I'm about to have Hollywood dreams. Mm-hmm. And it just was not like that. You know, I 
grew up mostly around like white people. Mm-hmm. Same here. Yep. And then um, LA, I was I went to a predominantly black school, and it was just like white people making fun of me because I didn't, you know, they were like, "You talk like us, and you're not black," and all oh. this dumb stuff, and black kids too. And it was just like, oh, this is this is very strange because I'm black. Yeah. So what's the issue? And then. Then I spent the rest of my, like, I left that school, went to a private school, and then tried to super black it up mm. in the dumbest way possible, like turning in papers and Ebonics. And, and just did, your, did your teachers pick up on what you were doing, or? I don't know. I mm. mean, they were, my mom definitely did. And she was like, girl, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. How did you internalize that? Because I kind of always, it kind of like messed me up a little bit. It definitely messed me up because I was mm-hmm. like forcing myself to be someone I wasn't. And I just mm-hmm. was like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, after a while, to be like, oh, this doesn't happen. This is just the way that I talk, I guess. It's yeah. just a particular cadence that I have. And then I know that I, then I started judging other people for like talking white too. It just made mm-hmm. me so judgmental and dumb. And I had to ask myself like why it was such an issue and what that meant and mm-hmm. what people were trying to say when they said that about me. Mm-hmm. And for me, what I took most offense to was that people thought that I didn't appreciate, that I didn't know I was black and that I didn't appreciate my, mm-hmm. my own black culture. And so I found myself trying to overcompensate in a way that just didn't make sense. And so after a while I had to be like, Okay, I talk white. That's just it. So yeah. what are we doing now? What yeah. is it? Where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah. And so you went to Stanford. And what was that like? It was great because it was the first time where I met like a whole bunch of other awkward black people. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is like the land of awkward black people. This is crazy. And I didn't want to go there initially. I wanted to go to NYU. Me too. Where did you end up going? They were like, your grades are trash. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a C student in high school because I didn't care. So I ended up going to Pratt Institute. Were you a were you a rebel in high school? I no, I just was I used to watch a lot of TV and film. Like I, my whole thing is like I wanted to work in film. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about my schoolwork. I was a nerd. I was a virgin. Like no, what? Yeah, I know. And I You were a virgin it. and your grades were trash. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I bet that's like what my parents thought every time they looked at me. <laughs> They're like, we know you ain't fucking, so what are you doing? <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So you did you get into NYU and decide to stay in Cali or my parents made me apply to Stanford and then mm. I went to the the admit weekend and that's when I fell in love. I was like, everybody's super down to earth. Nobody's like Oh, Stanford. You know, it was just, and there were so many black kids there that, you know, I just thought were cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you started doing film stuff there, like web stuff. Yeah. So they didn't have a film program until I was a senior. Mm. And so I just, I was directing plays there, you know, producing and directing plays. And then um, my senior year, I rented a camera from the library and created my first web series. That's so cool. And I, I, I'm asking this because I think there are a lot of, I, I know people see that, oh, web series is a way to get to that next step. But you, at this point, are basically have an empire. <laughs> you do. Oh, you're like producing like all sorts of web series. You have your own TV show. You've got a development deal with HBO. And that's amazing where you can develop and hone other um, projects. So I want to, I want to ask you like how, 
How did you get to a place where you were like, I want to not only create stuff for myself, but be like a curator of other talent? Just make, wanting to make a community that mm-hmm. we didn't that didn't necessarily exist in television. I think that's where it came about. Just like, oh, we can share the wealth because the more of us there are, the more we can get noticed together. And then that grew into like my own frustrations mm-hmm. with television and how long it took and how um, I want to say antiquated the model is. Like the pilot model is just so, especially the network pilot model is so like old and just outdated and and so I wanted to create a program and we ended up doing it through an initiative called Color Creative where we just create the pilots for young un, uh, young writers who are underrepresented who have mm-hmm. underrepresented voices so that you can like just have the funds to make your work you could have something to show for it build an audience around it and then have that weight behind you to be like oh I created something give me a chance I'm dope yeah so now you have a production company. What's the day-to-day like of having that? It's working with a team. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. If I didn't have a team, then I would not be able to sustain all of this. Um, but it's just for me, it comes with working with like equally ambitious people who are hungry, who um, each have a specific lane, which is super helpful, like mm-hmm. a business lane and a production lane and a PR lane and a... Um, you know, creative lane, like it's just every everybody has a specific job and we all work together to to make the best content possible. And that took years of just getting on the same page and, mm-hmm. and honing that. That's really, really cool. I wanna get back to insecure. Real quick, if you guys oh, sure. have not seen the season finale, pause this episode, go watch it, because the ending is controversial. Ooh. It's gonna spark a lot of discussion. Okay? Great. Spoiler alert over. So they so, came back. They came back. They you guys are back. It. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for telling your boss to go fuck himself to go on HBO Go. <laughs> you really have the power. I, yeah. I saw the person go and stop the podcast and come back. Um, so in the season one finale, Issa and Lawrence are officially done. They're officially broken up. They are done. But are they? Because are you really done when you In break my up case, with someone? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you cut it all off. No, I started back emailing my ex like a week ago. <laughs> but how long? We were together for four years. Uh, I broke up with him August 2015. And you just well, because I again. felt horrible doing the breaking up. So I was like, I I really beat myself up because I was like, he's a good guy, and he is. Uh, he's really smart. He's wonderful. He's talented. And there's he loved he loved me. And I was like, I felt like a monster. Where I was like, why is this like not enough? And it just what you know, it what just I mean? wasn't for you. Yeah, I think um, with Issa and Lawrence, mm-hmm. she was not the best, mm-hmm. but there was a history yeah. of like her standing by. Him and then she got tired and she was dishonest and she was cowardly, but she should have just you know at the end of the day been like I don't want to be with you anymore. She wasn't yeah. certain, but in his case he was depressed. He was trying to be better, but it was almost too little, too late. And it's like someone had to tell him to be better. Yeah. But if this, the roles were reversed, you know, if Issa were depressed on the couch, would the man be expected? to sit there and mm. wait for her to get her shit together. Yeah. And we're just not afforded those same luxuries. Yeah, exactly. 
I really do want to talk about the idea of the good guy because we've all dated a good guy, air quote. <laughs> and I think a lot of times for women in general, but like women of color, there is this notion that like, if he like doesn't hit you and like tells you you're pretty, <laughs> like does the bare minimum that makes a good guy. I know. You know what I mean? I, and I think it's great that you're exploring that on the show because I don't think that's explored enough. And I think a lot of times you see romantic comedy is just like, here's this dude who's like kind of generic, but like you should want to be with him because he's a good guy. And it's Girl, like, but you should be with a guy and, and, and see his potential and mm-hmm. and stick with him through that. But God, no one would ever tell a guy that. Yeah. Like, there's just, it's just like a huge double standard in terms of, you know, guys are expected to like sow their wild oats mm-hmm. and explore and never settle because they don't have to. And yeah. women are supposed to just like, oh, he's here. Okay, I got to work. I'm going to stick with him through it. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it work. Oh, he cheats on me. It's okay. Like, even the mentality that like a loyal woman sticks with a man yeah. who. Puts her through the ringer and she still stands by him. Like that is like, especially in black culture, it's yeah. like to be a loyal female, which mm-hmm. is so disgusting, is one who sit, stands by her man. Yeah. And it was also, uh, I don't know, it's just one of those things where it's like women are never valued on their potential. Mm-hmm. That is never seen as an attractive no, quality in a not mate. At all. So what was the what was the reaction that you were getting on social media oh about God. that episode? Did it run the gamut? I mean, for the most part, it was incredible. Like mm-hmm. just in terms of the conversations that it was sparking. I know in my own friends' lives, mm-hmm. like we caused issues in friends' relationships, and I was like, guys, Whoa. you know this is fake. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why are you affected by this? Yeah. And then you know, people were coming at me who think that this story is real. Yeah. But it was like. Y'all are watching, which is great. Yeah. And I remember, um, I think two days after the finale uh, aired, I remember being on Twitter just in the morning, mm-hmm. waking up, scrolling to see news, and I just saw, like, Ethan Lawrence, independent of, like, the hashtag me searching, but just people having conversations wow. about it. And I was just like, this is incredible. People yeah. are still talking about this. It's really hitting home for some people. Mm-hmm. And so I know you talked about this in other interviews that you kind of want to do a storyline where uh, the woman decides to cheat. Mm-hmm. Why did you feel that was important? Was it just to kind of balance it? Because you always see like the guy deciding to cheat. Was it about that? Or was it just like you want to explore a different kind of way of a relationship falling apart? Yeah, I, I just wanted to be inside a woman's head who decides to cheat. I've mm-hmm. seen in past relationships, I've, you know, wandered, I've strayed. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation about that with some of my guy friends and they were just like, any woman who cheats is a whore. Like, that's the worst thing a woman could ever do. And I just remember being like, but nigga, you, (laughs) you have like four baby mamas. What are you doing? Um, So just the double standard there. And then even in watching movies about women cheating, Mm -hmm. like unfaithful, somebody literally has to die (laughs) because the woman cheated. Um, What's another... (laughs) Another uh, movie where someone cheated. But it's always like just, it's always seen as the worst situation that can come about. And I just wanted to see in a a normal relationship Mm -hmm. um, how it played out. And just the perception of women cheating is just, it's not unheard of, but it's not, you can't be, you can't come back from that. Mm -hmm. Like I remember talking to a Hollywood executive, I talked about that where a woman cheated in my story and they were like, well, she can't be the hero anymore. No one's going to watch the movie after that. Wow. Whereas, you know, there are tons of movies where guys cheat Mm -hmm. and the women take them back and they live happily ever after. Yeah. Wow. 
That's crazy. So I want to I want to stay on the the social media thing for a second because I follow you on Instagram, mm-hmm. and you got to meet President Obama. Oh yeah, that was insane. And he told you that he loves your show. He did. What the fuck is that like? That's insane. It was absolutely insane. I was there with my mom. Cute. And it, she was hype. Yeah. It was very, very cold. What if she was like over it? <laughs> She's like, boring. <laughs> She's like, girl, why are we here? Yeah. What is the point? She was not over it. Bless her heart. And we were just excited to see, you mm-hmm. know, um, we were excited to touch the walls. We were excited yeah. to talk to Secret Service. It was just That's hype. so cool. So she... Got to the front um, of the line. I don't know whatever how she made it to the very front. Yeah. But I was over there. Yvonne came with me from the show. Yvonne Orgy and Levy was there. We were all in like nice. a hype black girl group. And so when he came out after giving a speech, he, you know, started shaking people's hands. And I was like, okay, my mom's good, cool. I started filming her. And then I was like, okay, let me just. I want to. I kind of want to touch him too. So yeah. let me go <laughs> to the corner and see if I can at least reach out to him and have mm-hmm. him touch me. He sees me and Yvonne, and then he points to Yvonne, and he's like, she's having a good year, huh? And I was like, he's talking about me? And then he, was, he just starts holding our hands for two wow. minutes, talking about how he loves to see black women being creative, and he loves our soundtrack, and he can't quote it because, <laughs> you know, he's president. So yeah. um, hopefully he can quote the, the show now that he's... <laughs> Out of office, we miss you. Yeah, we miss you, Barack. So much. Is yeah. this a, how do you feel? Um, I'm kind of like, oh, this is like not a dream. I know. He's probably so relieved, I think, because they went through so much from the media, from Hell the government, yes. that I think they missed it. But I think they're probably like, that was a lot to put up with. Do you think you know? Michelle misses it at all? I think probably not. I feel like... Every single time I look at her, I feel like I get her. Mm-hmm. Like, girl, you hate this. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're so mad. You see through all the bullshit. Yeah. And you're so upset. It's crazy. But it's so awesome that he is a fan of your work. And, like, did you ever think when you were doing this show that it was going to resonate so much with people? Because I think your character being awkward and, like, doubting herself, I think is a very common experience, but it's not seen in people of color. Right. And I think that it just, when it, the show, popped like everyone was like oh I see myself in her like so were you expecting that from the general public let alone the president uh, but no I definitely did not expect it in any way mm-hmm. shape or form and it was just you know you I make a lot of the work for like my friends and family to laugh mm-hmm. like that's just it at the end of the day like I'll, I'll be like oh well, will my sister find this funny will my best friend find this funny you know a bunch of black girls are relating to it despite the fact that I say which is really frustrating when any black girl creates mm-hmm. something as I'm sure you know we always have the burden of like this is for all black girls yeah and if it doesn't live up to every black girl's experience then you're put under a microscope to say what you did wrong and mm-hmm. how you didn't represent this black girl's experience and this black girl's and so I always set out to tell a very specific story and to have so many people still relate is just just such a blessing. Yeah. One of my favorite aspects of the show is your relationship, Issa's, with Molly. And I think that's great. I think these are actual real women. Right. And their friendship is genuine and authentic, and it is about supporting each other, not being competitive. And so I wanted to know what was the process like in terms of developing that relationship and also working with Yvonne. 
Um, it just came into tapping my own friendships, mm-hmm. my own personal friendships. And it's funny, in, in the initial version of the pilot, um, Molly, you know, was definitely a part of the story, but it wasn't, you know, about Issa and Molly. And they loved the character so much. They were like, we got to see more of this. And I was like, yes, great. But that, you know, comes to Molly is based off of a best friend of mine. And then, you know, it was taking qualities from my other friends. Yeah, I really love their dynamic because they call each other out in their crap, which I think a lot of friends do. You have to. Yeah. So on the show, the N-word gets used a decent amount, which... To me, I like never really like note. I think because you just hear it like said from guys a lot, so you're just kind of like, oh, whatever. And then when you hear women saying it, you're kind of like, oh, oh, like I would do that. I'd be like, oh, that's that's new. And I'm like, no, it's not. But I, I, I don't know. I there's just something to it where I just thought it was an interesting choice for your characters to use that as a way of communicating with each other. And what did you think about that? Yeah, it's so interesting. When I moved to LA, mm-hmm. I remember. I mean, in high school, the first time someone called me bitch in a friendly way, but I didn't know. I was mm. just like, oh, man, I got to, this girl called me a bitch and I got to fight her. And I don't know how to fight. God, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, oh, that's how people talk here. Like, this is how yeah. people talk. And in, in um, you know, Compton, I went to the high school, Compton and Watts on the border, and that was just how we spoke. And then... Even going into college, that's how my friends and I talk. They're just terms of endearment. And you're right in that it is typically associated with, like, guys. Guys mm-hmm. use those words all the time. And it's just like, oh, that's part of it. Like, they're rappers or they're comedians. Yeah. And that's how they talk. It's funny. And that when, when women use it, it's just kind of, like, unladylike and, and a bit jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never did it to make a statement. It's just how I actually talk with my friends yeah this show is so much about regular black people which i really enjoy because i do even in film like the oscar nominated films with people of color tend to be like extraordinarily accomplished people of color and you made a mission statement that you just want to show regular lives of of black people Mm -hmm. which i think is amazing and uh, can you talk a little bit about like what inspired you to do that um, just like you said, just seeing people who are super magic or super like sometimes just uh, you ever said that they're they're so extravagant that they're emotionless. They're not like real people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know any of the, I don't know any black people like that, like that are just like super strong all the time and who don't have feelings or who are just. On the opposite end, like overly dramatic and just overly sensitive and over like just uh, boggled down by mm-hmm. race. And I was like, where's the middle ground? Like, yeah. where are the people who are just like my homegirl, like my mom, I, you know, and, and wanting to see more of that and realizing that we haven't seen those kind of depictions since the 90s, since 90s shows. Yeah. So you, your star is rising. You were nominated for a Golden Globe. Like everyone's really in love with your show. Do you feel like... There is this sort of pressure now for you to be, are you considered like extraordinary and do you feel that sort of weight or does life pretty much stay the same for you? Stays the exact same. That's Not good. at all. Like I don't, uh, I think it helps just feeling out of place because mm-hmm. I do. Like even being at the Golden Globes was just like, a, what am I doing here? What? It's well, real. You great though. Thank you. But it's just, you don't, I'm, I just feel like I don't belong, which is, which is commonplace. I mean, I don't. I'm like, okay, this is just, I guess, who I am at the end of the day. Like, no matter how 
confident I become in, in my work down the line, there's still going to be that, like, that insecurity that, that rocks me yeah. and um, makes me want to belong at the end of the day. I'm like, okay, now I have to prove myself mm. when I, if, if and when I get to come back. Yeah. And so I want to talk about the show a little bit more. Um, so there's a really female-heavy powerhouse, uh, Melina Matsukis. Yes. Great. She directed half the season. A lot of people probably know her best from Beyonce Formation video. Hey. So what made you pick someone who normally only does like a video direction? Because I think the show looks really amazing. It has a really cool look. I was always a fan of her work. Mm-hmm. We were looking for... Someone who would obviously elevate it, mm-hmm. um, and we wanted to not take a chance, but just give another black woman a chance, mm-hmm. one, and HBO is great about like, hey, take a risk, and a lot of times risks suck and don't work out, but a lot of times they do, yeah. and so I pitched her, and she just got it, you know, after meeting with a bunch of other directors who were great. She just spoke the same language in a way that excited us mm-hmm. and was very humble about the fact that she didn't know television, but was such a studier of the craft and um, just super open. And when you vibe with someone, like, that's the blessing of also working on this show is that, like, everybody, like, really vibes and we're all, like, no egos are involved. It's yeah. just, like, trying to make the best show possible. Yeah, I like that. And another thing I like about this show is music. Like Solange was like the music supervisor. And like your character, both on the show and the web series, Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, did raps into the mirror. So like, I'm wondering why does music play such an important place in your work? Like what about it like resonates with you? I have you ever just like you you're driving you hear a song mm-hmm. and you're like oh my god I remember when I this song has a specific connection for me like this was my first kiss or this is when I was mad at you know my significant other mm-hmm. and creating moments like that via the music for me are so crucial and in trying to make a show that is relatable I wanted the music to tell the story as well so that mm-hmm. like when you're hearing a song that particular scene has more weight for you because of the song, because the song is also telling you how to feel and telling you why this moment is important. And I just love that about music. And where the rapping is concerned, you know, just as a device, it's the only time the lead character is completely honest with herself Mm. (laughs) and does that, you know, through ridiculous rap songs that, you know, are terrible. But that's her (laughs) way of expressing herself. It's that mirror where you're only... Where you're facing yourself and you have no choice but to just like look and acknowledge like what your issues are. Did you ever like play an instrument in real life or sing or anything <laughs> like <laughs> or no? Um, I, I took piano lessons for a long time nice. and I wasn't the best, but my mom made me yeah. take them. And, but no, I wish I had a musical talent. I wish I had. Me too. Did you play anything? I play the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they were like. <laughs> Why do you even tell people that you did that? That is not count. At it was all. middle school. I stand in my truth. I play the triangle. Did you sign up for that? <laughs> did you? Are you kidding? No, I think it was like legit. Like, okay, this bitch is toned up, and <laughs> she can't play like the clarinet. Here's a triangle. You can't fuck that. Up. I cannot. <laughs> I would not tell anybody, but good for you, girl. 
G still, if someone gave you a triangle right now, would you be able to like I mean, pop off? I might be able to get back into do like Carol the Bells. I might fucking kill it. I don't know. <laughs> I uh, discovered the tambourine in my adult life. Oh, nice. That is the best instrument in the entire world to me. Like it is. You you're literally a party. Yeah. When you walk in with a tambourine, it is like. <laughs> You're the life of the party. So how did you discover the tambourine? Like, what happened? <laughs> I went to a karaoke night in Koreatown with some of the writers, mm-hmm. and they had a tambourine that you could, like, rent while doing karaoke. And I was drunk and fell in love with it. It made every song better, because I actually hate karaoke. What? <sighs> I know. I, okay, let's... Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> let's move past this. No, wait, why do you hate karaoke? It's just like... Did you call it karaoke? No, yeah. even more. Thank you. I didn't think I could hate it. I was trying to sneak that in. <laughs> I abhor it now. Thank you. <laughs> I hate karaoke because it's it's in the same vein as like acapella. It's just people who aren't that great at singing. It's like if I'm watching singing, I want to be entertained. I want to mm. be like, oh, that's good. Not like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> So it's just not entertaining. Yeah. Okay. So like we don't agree on karaoke. We don't. But that's okay. Thank you. Yeah. This is a safe space. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So we've got to get out of here. But I want to ask you like what does the future hold for you and what what are you looking to accomplish that you you haven't yet? Um, Ultimately at the end of the day I want to have a studio. I want to do what. Oprah did, but for like, you know, entertainment. I am, Oprah's career is just amazing. Yeah. Um, also now, just given the, the climate, I want to figure out like how I can use my platform mm-hmm. to contribute politically mm-hmm. and to make a difference in that way because we're just in such scary, crazy, dumb times. Yeah, how do um, you feel about all that stuff right now? You know what I think? As, as millennials, I just feel like this is our We've always known that racism exists, but it's mm-hmm. always just been like in the in the background. But mm-hmm. it's always we've and at least I have I've had the mentality that like anybody who thinks this way is in the minority and they're dumb. Like mm-hmm. everybody's laughing at them. Yeah. And to see that not only is that not true, but that this is it's just out in the open and commonplace. Like I think that that's what shook us all to the core mm-hmm. and it's hurtful. You know, you have older generations who are like, we knew this existed. This is, but this is our first like real, I mean, the evidence of it is just laid out. And so it's, it's hurtful, but it's just like, how do we, how do we make them feel stupid again? How do we make sure that (laughs) those people not only die off, but the mentalities die off. It just feels like we have to overpower them. But for me, it's just frustrating because I'm trying to figure out how best to use the platform to, to make a difference in that way and to shut it down. Yeah. Well, I think you've been doing a great job and I see you speaking out about stuff on social media, which I think is always great because if you have the platform, it doesn't hurt to just say like, hey guys, pay attention to this. So I think that's that's great. Well, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you too. Thanks. And thanks for being here and rallying through your flu. You, oh man. You fucking thank crushed you. it. Sorry I sound disgusting, guys. No, but she, you, you, sound sen- you sound sensual. You sound like Demi Moore. <laughs> Demi Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Demi Moore is bomb. Yeah, she's dumb. So thank you for that. Of course. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Da, 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 dom, Daniel. Love was in the air for that interview. That was Black Girl Magic on Valentine's Day on Fleek.
I mean, sometimes that's what you need. I mean, it was so, so good. Thanks, Joan. Thieves. Uh huh. Will you be my Valentine? <clears throat> oh, um. Oof, okay. Uh, sorry. You, I, it was, I shouldn't I, mix work with personal I life. just have someone else. No, it's fine. It was me. I'm, I'll, it's fine. It's not that I wouldn't ever, just like not this year. I guess it'll just be an edible arrangement for one this year. Oh, Joe, you know what? I can share. No. Nope, you're my Valentine tonight. Okay. So that means you got put out. The So Many White Guys team includes Rachel Neal, Jana Solitaroff, Jen Poyant, Paula Schumann, Isaac Jones, Jeremy Bloom, and Joe Plort. Our theme music was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. Check out photos of me and Issa Rae from our interview on the WNYC Studios Facebook page. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dope Queen Thieves. Also, exciting news, guys. If you are in the Massachusetts area. I will be there on April 1st performing in the High Mud Comedy Festival. It's a two-day laugh fest featuring a bunch of people like Aparna Nonchurla, Jordan Carlos, Dave Hill, but I'm performing April 1st that evening. So go to massmocha.org. Get your tickets now before it sells out. It's going to be amazing. Please, I want to see you there. It'll be cute. We'll, like, eat some popcorn and, like, have some fun. Okay. Y-Q-Y-E. Baby, I want you. No, no. Jogging up. We be all night. Welcome back from the break, babies. The commercial break. Oh, wait, sorry. I totally skipped your line. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'll wait for her to stop singing and then I'll I'll jump in. We be up all night. 